0: Hello, everyone. This is Seth from Engage Podcast to bring you today another great episode of Engage Podcast. But before I can get into that, as always, if you are hearing my voice for the very first time, go ahead and like and subscribe wherever you're hearing this right now. So if you're listening on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Podcast Addict, Spotify, or YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way, You can get notified every time we come out with a new episode of Engage Podcast. You won't have to look for us. Boom. It's going to be right there on your phone waiting for you. Also, if you haven't had a chance yet, go over to our YouTube page, our YouTube channel. If you're listening not on um, YouTube, the link for that's down in the show notes. You can go right there, and you get to actually watch today's podcast happening in real time. So that was one of the things we added in the beginning of the year was a video element to the podcast, so you won't just be able to hear us, you'll be able to actually see us talking and interacting with each other, and you can be a fly on the wall, or you can feel like you can be, you're, you're, uh, you're sitting at the table with us listening to the conversation. Um, it's, in my opinion, one of the coolest things that we've added to the podcast. It really does make a difference in the experience, and I hope you enjoy it. Our guest today is, uh, hes this is his second time on the podcast. We had him originally back in the summer, but uh, his name is Michael Juano. Now, he is an attorney here in Mercer County, but he's also currently running for the judge of the common pleas, and uh, I found out what that actually meant because I don't really know that much about judges. I just, all I knew of judges were like, you know, Judge Judy, you know, the People's Court. That's like the only, that's my wheelhouse of court and uh, what judges are and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I was never into Law & Order or any of those types of shows because I just, just didn't know. So I had the privilege of just learning about all of this from Michael, but also we got to know Michael a little bit better than we did the first time. You know, the first time he was on last year, um, it was just kind of an overall, um, you know, uh, who are you kind of episode. But this episode, we kind of dive in deeper into who he is, his experience, and what makes him the right fit for the judge of the common plea. So if you... Um if you're into law, if you're into and you are interested in um, who is running for judge, this episode is perfect for you. It's got your name written all over it. If you're someone who you don't know that much about what judges do and you don't know that much about Michael Joanno, then this episode has your name written all over it as well. So give it up for our friend, Michael Joanno.
1: Welcome back to Engage Podcast Studios. Here we are sitting at Faith Presbyterian Church. Today I have the pleasure of always sitting with my right-hand man, Seth Walters. Hi, sir. How you doing? Good. All right, all right. And, and this is the second time Michael Joanno has been on our show. Two. This is two. Now you're, you're you are being recorded. People can see. That handsome, studly face yeah. today. <laughs> the lack of a hairline, I think, is what they're going to see. Yeah. So, uh, Michael...
2: Grass, does, or grass doesn't grow on a busy highway. <laughs>
1: That's right. I like that. I've never heard that before. So you have been practicing law for 32 years. I have. And what inspi-
2: remind us, what inspired you to, to get into the practice of law? Well, my mom, when my older brother was born, he was designated the doctor, so I was designated the lawyer. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I grew up... Uh, I like to read, I like to think logically, solve problems, and I was always drawn to the law because it's a way of solving problems. Uh, My dad was a draftsman, but he was kind of a self-taught engineer, another way to solve problems, so he wanted me to go to engineering school. So I started there, but once I got there, I realized I think I can better do it in the law, so I changed my major from engineering to pre-law, and, and I haven't turned back, because they both are solving problems, mm-hmm. it's just using a little different uh, set of tools. Right. So what, what are some of the tools that you have to use to solve your problems as an attorney? Well, logic, of course, has to come into play, and you have to be able to understand um, the dynamic of the party's interests. So... To solve a problem, you can't only represent your client's interests. If you don't understand what the other side is trying to get out of it, then you're never going to get them to find the middle ground. And that's really the key, is breaking down the barriers, getting the building blocks to as simple a base as you can get, and then building it back up, and you almost always then can find a resolution. And if you don't understand what the other side's doing, then you I don't believe you have a chance of legitimately resolving the claim. So you have to understand the other side's argument as well as you understand your own. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand why they have that position as well as you understand what your client's motivation is. So in the end, it's kind of merging those two concepts together. And, and I don't know if you ask this later. but that's what Judge Frenelli, my first boss, taught me when I was a law clerk. And and it it enforced a lot of what I learned in law school. So I've tried to put that in practice throughout my entire career, and I think I've done okay with it. I see. So there's more than just
1: what's going on in terms of you and your client, right? Maybe people think that (laughs) when they're first getting into the whole being an attorney or any kind of negotiation, I guess, right? There's also another whole dynamic of, thinking about the other person and what they're going through, what they
2: they need, and you know, all that good stuff. Uh, maybe not as much as what they need, but what they want, mm-hmm. and, and whether it's something we can give them, and how does it interact with my clients' wants. And, and i got to say this. There's so many different types of law. I'm talking as a litigator. I'm talking as somebody who's dealing in conflict resolution. That's usually if we can't reach a resolution, we're going to some fact finder whether it's a a jury whether it's a judge whether it's an administrative law resolution or hearing referee um, we're going to some place where if we can't reach a resolution somebody's going to reach it for us right there's a lot of other law, you know, in real estate law, you have conflict, but you're not always looking at litigation. There's a state planning administration where you have competing interests amongst a family. You have domestic law where there is a resolution in a court, but you're dealing with so many different dynamics. So there's no one size fits all, I guess I would say. I think I've carved my niche out, but I understand that the others are out there. And there are some commonalities between uh, resolving in, in what I primarily practice in versus what other attorneys do, but I don't want to give the sense that it's real simple. Sure. because It's such a dynamic area of professionalism that it can go in many different directions. Mm-hmm. So, what what are the qualities
1: that make a an excellent um, attorney? And and the cat's out of the bag. You're you're also going to be running for. Uh, the Court of Common Pleas here in Mercer County. Yes. So you're going to speak to to that element as well. But what are what are the qualities um, that you think are absolutely critical for people to have in order to pursue something like this? Persistence.
2: You have to be willing to keep digging, digging, digging to get to the resolution. It's not always going to just appear. You know, you've got to be willing to look for the answer. Um, You have to be able to break things down. So I think having the ability to uh, tackle a problem and breaking it into its smaller components, that's where my engineering mind, I guess, comes in, helps a lot. See where there's agreement, see where there's discord, and see how you can merge those two concepts together. You have to be, you know, there's a certain, I'm not, how do you say this humbly, you have to be an element of intelligence. You have to be able to digest all that information and compute it which uh, I think uh, that's what the bar exam's for. In law school, it's to to weed out those that might have difficulty. And then depending on where you want to go in your practice, there's different disciplines. Are you a good litigator? That means somebody who uh, is very well-spoken and can uh, project well, and, and, and people believe what they're saying and they trust them. There are good writers that are able to take words that, you know, 30 words here and rearrange them and make an argument that would <laughs> blow your mind. So there's a lot of different uh, skills that can be incorporated into the practice of law. And that's why so many people are lawyers that don't ever even practice law. I mean, I think, what, Gerardo Rivera is a lawyer? And, and he's a, <laughs> uh, and uh, there's, there are several actors, newscasters, sports personalities, uh, Steve Young, I was just going to say As a that lawyer. Yes, that's correct. So yeah, it, it teaches you again how to think critically, and that can be used anywhere. Yeah. Very cool. So,
0: um, with you running for judge, well, first of all, I, for my personal, because um, I'm I'm wondering is the court of common pleas how is that different than just running for because. I always thought just running for judge was just running for judge. Are there different levels of judges? And what does the Court of
2: Common Pleas mean? Okay, so there are there are many different levels. Uh, the the <coughs> primary level in Pennsylvania would be what called call a district magistrate. Okay. And the district magistrate is the person that hears mostly small claims. Uh, you don't have to be a lawyer to be a district magistrate. There are Brian Arthur in Greenville who was a police chief. There was Ron Antos uh, in Hermitage who was a police chief. That that went on to become lawyers or uh, district magistrates. Okay, they have a certain level of jurisdiction. Then above them would be the court of common pleas. That's the trial court in New York. They call it the Supreme Court. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, so that is the court where uh, you will litigate the case. That's where the jury is. Then above that, you have the appellate courts, and in Pennsylvania, there are two appellate courts. There's the Commonwealth Court that hears cases that get appealed from that trial level and from administrative courts up to uh, what would be akin to the superior court. It's the next level, Mm -hmm. and then above all of them is the Supreme Court, and then you add to that, you have administrative law courts, such as workers' compensation uh, where they're handling a very specific area of the law. Social Security disability, this is a federal administrative law court. Mm. In federal court, you have district magistrates, and they work up from there. Okay. So there's a lot of different types of judges. Okay,
0: okay. I, I just, I don't know why, I have just never heard the phrase, the Court of the Common, was it please? Yeah, I've never heard of that
2: that term. There's a restaurant down in Pittsburgh, the Common Plea, that's uh, right in the area. Of the uh, okay. I don't know if it's still there or not. I had dinner there a few times. It's pretty good. The lawyers used to go there. But it's a fairly common term. But that's the primary court of jurisdiction in the Commonwealth, of Pennsylvania, where you hear your cases. Okay, interesting, interesting.
0: So what made you uh, look at that and say, I want to do that? I alluded to it earlier,
2: my first job coming up. I um, was a with Judge Frenelli. Okay. I was a law clerk. But even before that, when I was in law school, I did a lot of um, moot court trial competitions, uh, appellate advocacy competitions. That was my passion. And okay. I got awarded the Order of Barristers, a national order for doing that, because uh, my team's actually advanced. I went to Philadelphia, I went to Detroit, I, I got to travel a bit for it. Cool. So it gave me a feel for what it's like to be involved in the case and litigating it. And then when I went and became a, a clerk, the, the first thing I saw was how to look at it from both sides. So. Gotcha. If there was an argument that was being presented to the court for resolution, you know not the case, but just an issue, uh, they would present it to the court. The judge would then have them uh, brief it. So I would get both sides briefs. I would review their research, do my own. And then reconcile the two and help the judge uh, come up with a solution. That was, of course, the judge's solution. And I really got a feel for that. And then I got to see all the different things that were done in the courtroom and I really enjoyed that. So I knew I wanted to be a litigator and I knew at some point I, I as hoped that I felt I would get to the point where I felt I could do the job. Okay. And that's where I think I am. I my belief is that Attorneys that have a lot of experience are supposed to kind of, I don't want to say give back, but take that experience to the court and use it at, you know, towards the end of their career, which is kind of where I am. Um, and it's a good way to take that experience and, and put it to use, mm. practical mm-hmm. use for the county. Very cool. So
0: I, I would say I, I imagine in that, that job, both as an attorney and also um, as a judge, you deal with a lot of difficult people. Right?
2: Well, yeah, there's uh, a lot of difficult people in the world, as we know. Of course. Uh, and when you're involved in a conflict, it can it, cause it, people to be entrenched. A lot of emotion. Okay. And emotion can make things difficult. All right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you do run across difficult people. So how how do you deal with that? How do you go about that? The first thing you try to do is bring them back on point. Okay. If they can't see what the real issue is, losing the forest for the trees— mm. uh, then they're never going to get a a resolution, and so you you try to bring them back, and there's going to be a lot of conversation and a lot of demonstration, so I'll take the evidence and say, well, here, look, you're telling me X occurred, but if it's a a medical issue, uh, your doctor says Y occurred, so now we have to reconcile you saying it was X, your doctor saying it's Y, and how do you come to that resolution? Hmm. Well, we we look at all around it, and maybe you have to realize that X isn't a position you can hold steadfastly to, that it has to be somewhere between. Hmm. And you hope that you can lead your client to make a decision. I don't tell my clients what to do. I create options, and I think that's the best way to get a resolution i tell them Look, my job isn't here to, to solve your problem my job is to give you options and then you can pick what's going to be the best way to solve your problem for you uh,
1: hopefully you just pick the one that's highlighted circled exclamation point <laughs> arrows being pointed at it
2: <laughs> go with that option right? yeah i mean I, so is difficult happened in the past yes and can people change their position on you in midstream i had one person say i just want to get my medical bills paid i'm like okay we took a case, very difficult, and when it came time to submit a demand, they asked me to so submit demand for nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents, and said, "See, I kept it under a million." <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, when we got to that point, then let's go to trial, and that's what we did. So, do
0: you find that with that? Um, being a part of your job and you developing that those skills, do you find that being a huge benefit to you in your personal life? N- learning how to deal with difficult people and learning how to get people back on point like among whether it be people just in your everyday life.
2: What I like to say is a lawyer is not what I do, it's who I am. So I believe that's who I am as a person. I'm mm-hmm. kind of that guy that Tries to find the middle ground. Uh, I'm passionate about many things. That doesn't mean you can't have passion, but at the same time, I feel that we're all better if we, we get along. Mm-hmm. And uh, just ask my family; they are exposed to it on a daily basis. But I think it's more who I am as much as what I do. Cool. So, do I take it to my personal life? I think I take my personal life to the business. Right. Right. It's who you are. It's the fabric of of, of who you are as a person. You know. I believe
1: so. So with that in mind, I remember back in undergrad and um, even in seminary, one of the themes that our professors would always harp on is this idea of calling, which it seems like this is a calling for you. It's like you didn't choose it, it chose you. And they would always talk about the pastoral ministry kind of being the same thing. And one of the things they would also say, always say is look for confirmation in other trusted people. So if you're out there you know, leading a Bible study and nobody's showing up, there's a reason. Or if you're leading a Bible study and people are showing up, there's a reason. You can see confirmation through other people. So have you had that and you're you're running for judge? Has anyone endorsed you?
2: I've been fortunate. Uh, My uh, old boss, Judge Rinelli, has told me he's supporting me and endorsing me. And and we've had conversations about that. Uh, There are two other uh, retired judges uh, that have indicated that they're endorsing me they're going to put it in writing i believe uh, judge dobson who served on the court of common pleas of mercer county and judge john reed who served on the court of common pleas of mercer county so i feel i'm really blessed uh... that three people who i looked up to uh, are saying that they feel that i'm the person for the job um, you know i asked they did, they could have said no and and we talked and it wasn't like they just handed it out like it's candy. I, I think we uh, discussed what it was that my philosophies were and and how they would apply to the bench. And uh, that feels really good. In addition to that, I you know, without getting into all the names, I've got a group of dedicated people that have just been supportive of me all the way through. They're you know helping me get signatures. They're they're putting signs up, cooking pasta dinners. They're uh, out there reaching out to people on social media they're doing so much work meeting with me and helping me coordinate mm-hmm. efforts on where to be and who to speak with and and what to talk about so i have had uh, quite a few people that are supporting me and, it, and it's very humbling mm-hmm. it, and there's no doubt about it it's very humbling and uh, i feel pretty blessed i won't lie sure uh, does that mean i'm gonna win absolutely not you know the voters are the ones that will decide, and there's two other uh, candidates out there that are doing the same thing I am trying very hard to impress the voters that they're the best candidates and that's what I'm going to be doing is my best uh, effort to convince the the jury Judge Reed <laughs> is the one who said this you're a litigating attorney treat the election as if it's a trial you're representing yourself you know even though they say only a fool represents himself <laughs> uh, but treat the the electorate as the jury, present your case, let the jury decide who they should select. And uh, that was pretty wise advice by John Reed. Sure. So you have um, a couple folks
1: you're running against. One of the things we don't want to do is sling mud, clearly. Never will. Um, But what would you say different, what what is different about Michael Joanno than the other two? (coughs) For those listening right now who may not know um, all the candidates, you know what is it that distinguishes you
2: versus opposing them well and, and that's the way i i try to present it like i'm here to tell you about me mm-hmm. i've got 32 years experience i've handled every kind of case that will come before the court and i have a pretty good feel of what it is involved in the mechanics of the law i've done my practice as i said earlier as a problem-solving conflict resolution practice, and I think that skill is what a judge needs most. Having said that, I've also gone to the next length and gone to trial, so I know I'm in a position where I can make a decision when a decision needs to be made. A lot of what a judge faces is criminal law, and and that was one of the questions I had, whether I can do that, and I have no problem with that because when the law needs to be applied, I have no fear in doing that. The courts have a lot of tools now to deal with drug offenses, repeat offenders, things of that nature. And I, I feel having gone through that process as a litigator and also having dealt with it as a law clerk has put me in a unique position to be able to resolve it on the bench. So my experience, I think, is is a very important part of it. Uh, there's people out there who believe in me who know the job. I think that's uh, also an important part of it, and. I've been very active in my community mm-hmm. and that's gotten me out there and gotten me to understand and know a lot of the people that I would be representing. The one thing I learned in the last campaign is I thought I knew a lot and I realized there's so much more to learn. So, I, In terms of campaigning? Not in campaigning, in terms of who I would be representing. You know, you think you understand your community, and then you go out there and dig deeper, and you realize there's so many more layers and facets to the people that are out there and issues that are facing them. What Speak to that. What, what stood out to you? What did you
1: learn from that time to this time, whether it's the people, groups you're representing, or
2: an issue or two that really open your eyes up? Huh, good question. I would say talking to the people, is that even though mercer county is this small little area in pennsylvania there's so much diversity when you have the shenango valley where i spent a lot of my life uh, we consider ourselves small town. when you get out to some of the more rural areas you'll see that the travails they're facing are not the same that we are Uh, i was at jefferson township borough meeting and they said come on up let me show you what it's like on a farm And I'm like, absolutely, I want to do that because the issues they're facing are not the same that I'm facing with a house a few blocks from the city center of of the city of Hermitage. And that's what I'm talking about. There's a diversity in life. There's a diversity in the way um, people seem to approach society, whether it's religion, whether it's politics. You know, I can't get into politics and you always want to avoid religion. Um, Everybody has their faith, and I think that that's personal and important. But that's what I'm talking about. So uh, Judge Dobson made a really good recommendation. He said, draw a line from Wilmington Township to Jamestown. That's the spine of Mercer County. That goes right through the heart of Mercer County. He goes, make an effort to get to know those people. So I've been going to the board meetings, the borough meetings, and I'm continuing to do that. But I took his line, I took a ruler, and I made it wider. And I figured, let's try to cast that net as wide as we can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Grove City is such an important part of the county i was at the grove city borough meeting last night i'm I'm trying to get to as many as i can there's only so much time and they all meet on the same dates but that was really good advice get to know the people who are running the communities and help to learn about them what we're missing in this campaign because of the coronavirus are the pancake and pasta uh, meals i called it the pancake and pasta trail last time where you're going to every pancake breakfast and every spaghetti dinner, and you're meeting the people at the Lions Club, at the VFW, at the church hall. And I really enjoyed that part of the campaigning, and and that's been taken away from us. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm trying to find other ways that I can continue to get out there and get to meet the people, and and it's uh, eye-opening. It really expands. I, I take into every day the mantra that you can learn something new every day, yeah. and you never know where you're going to learn it from. You can't be so pompous and arrogant to think that you know it all. You've got to be receptive to learn from others. So that's what I'm trying to do.
1: I remember reading a book by Tom Peters called Excellence in Leadership. I think it came out in the, in the uh, or mid '80s, and um, he it's a it's a pretty thick book, but there was really one. Uh, principle that leapt off the page at me. And then I come to find out later that it it made a huge, the book had made a huge impact on the um, leadership and managing kind of theories. And he came up with something called MBWA, which means manage by walking around. Or if you want to say LBWA, lead by walking around, same idea. And that is that there's nothing that's going to be able to replace you getting out of this cubicle, your office, in being with people, rubbing shoulders with people, listening to people. In fact, you know, it's all these things are amazing because they're all biblical. We'll discover these things in a secular world, but it works because God wrote it, he wove it into the fabric of who we are. Um, And that's one of the things that, you know, when I read the Bible, you always see Jesus with people. He He was never hiding. I mean, he did occasionally distance himself to pray and things like that, but... The point is, is that he was always rubbing shoulders with people, he was near them and heard their stories. And um, it seems like that's one of the, you know, the marks that that you've learned and are out there doing. And I think that's really important because there's nothing that could um, replace that, being with the people, hearing them. Um, Just the difference between last time and this time, you sharing, I've learned new things, new issues, new problems facing folks. I've also heard more stories from people. That, to me,
2: can't be accomplished sitting in a room. No, and, and you get to meet the people, and you realize how wonderful they are in uh, following up on Jesus real quick. You also got to go to the children, too. And that's one of the things, hmm. when you ask what I feel makes me a good candidate, you know, I've spent a lot of time coaching and right. leading youth. And children are extremely bright, and they say, they say the darndest things, but <laughs> a lot of those darndest things are full of wisdom, Mm-hmm. So that's one of the other things I think. Uh, I, I made myself receptive to listen to everybody, and I'm willing to listen. I, I'm doing a lot of talking right now, but of I course. like to listen, too. And you learn more by listening than talking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, one of the things I always think about is the fact that, you know, I think in, in our American modern culture, we always get the the – like levels of influence all mixed up. We tend to always think that people who are in, whether they're politicians or people who have lots of influence and a lot of power and a lot of money, it's their job to change the culture. It's their job to change society. It's their job to change. But I mean, looking at the Bible and even throughout, if you look throughout history, Anytime a nation has ever been changed, it was never by the people who were on the top. It was always by the people who were on the bottom. And that's why Jesus, I mean, it's it's, again, it's one of those things that I never realized until someone said it in a sermon, which was Jesus, if, if, if going to Capitol Hill was the solution to everything, then Jesus would have gone to Rome. But he never stepped foot in a room. He never spoke to Caesar. Who did he spend most of his time with? He spoke. He spent his time talking to everyday people, and he was helping to improve their life by healing them, by loving them, by taking care of them, by listening to them too. And it's just that's it's such a simple thing. And the, I I I'm thinking back to when um uh Chris Fry uh mayor chris fry was was in here and he was talking about how his campaign was very basic he just went and just knocked on doors and just talked to people like it was kind of it was like i think he even said in that interview how it's such an easy thing but for whatever reason um we tend to forget that that's the most important thing and it's it's the most classic way to really influence people and
1: hear people yeah people don't don't care how much you know until they they know how much you care yeah I think that's a good enough yeah, so
2: knocking on doors is something we want to do but it's gonna be difficult in the age of corona of course yeah, and 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 the weather outside you put your ice <laughs> Tonight, on and yeah. just go from door to door yeah it's you know. not easy to do in february and march no
1: um so let's let's think a little bit more about people have to inspire you at certain points and you've brought up judge Frenelli. Not just today, but the last time you were here. And you're not the only guest that has brought him up. We have had the privilege of having Jeff Lynn on our show a couple of times as well. And he brought up and said, you need to get him on the show. He is just an amazing person, amazing mind. The world needs to hear from him. So that has really escalated my interest, our interest on having him here. Because you're hearing all these people share about him. But you've had the honor of sitting under him. What did he teach you? What did you learn? What, how did he inspire
2: and influence you? Well, he's a very uh, good critical thinker. And I think that's one of the things that I, I learned most from him was you have to really dice the issues down and break them down. Uh, and he's very um, faithful. So he's, he's strong in his faith. And that was another thing that, that drew me to him as well. I don't want to minimize the other influences, uh, just looking at the two other judges. John Reed was one of my mentors in the first job that I had outside of the uh, clerkship at Robin Moore, Goldstone, and Valentino, and, and his demeanor, his way of communicating was par excellence. You know, he had what they call the judicial demeanor, and and I learned that from him. And Judge Dobson, when I was a law clerk, he was... Doing work for the court in various places, and we used to sit at the table and dissect cases together. And I learned from him, you know, the the delving into it. So there's not just one uh, influence that I've had from a legal uh, perspective. I think at least three of those, and there's many others. I, I'm sure I'm doing a disservice to a lot of people. Uh, but Judge Fenelli would be a wonderful guest if you can get him. I would I would recommend it highly. Mm-hmm
1: so flipping that so there's people who you're looking up to throughout your life but is there anyone below you where if you had the chance to mentor right like you talked about persistence is there anything else you would take a young person to the side and say okay you're gonna you're gonna pursue this here's what you need to do here's what
2: you need to read like what would those things be I don't know if I can pull out like a book and say, here's the magical solution. Uh, Persistence is one thing, but I think persistence has to be coupled with patience and then add to that the work ethic. So I think you have to start adding layer upon layer. So you you start building up the individual skills. Patience, I think, is maybe the most important of all because you're going to fail. It's given you're gonna fail Hmm. you have to learn from those failures figure out why you failed make sure you don't make the same mistake twice and then start building upon that failure that's where the persistence I think kind of comes in so uh, I think generally speaking I want people to be patient in their approach persistent in their application and critical in their thinking oh
1: i i needed one more p from you you know you're so every pastor likes these cute little packages you know then uh, i could have stood up there on a sunday morning and said all right here we go going right, and, forward and, and, in 2021 i'll give you a the, and perspiration, to get <laughs> perspiration. <laughs> there you go i like it so you seth do you yeah. remember when the last time michael was here he was talking about softball and yeah. he had a really great quote we have
0: not no joke I think we have quoted you in every episode we've done since we We bring it up you, a lot. Which was, I don't know if you remember the quote about...
2: I remember talking about it. I remember the girl saying it to me. I don't know how exactly I said it here, so why don't you kick it back to me?
0: You're the one who quotes it the most. I think you've even quoted a few times in a, a sermon or two.
2: Really?
0: Yeah. I
1: didn't give him credit. People were like, whoa, that's really... Good. <laughs> then they start thinking after, wait, he's never coached a day in his life. What's he talking about? So we were we were talking about the nature of um, overcoming getting, getting, yeah, striking out. I think we used this quote, which is on the wall. I don't know if they can see that. It's smooth. A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. This is a very popular quote. It makes total sense out there. You're going to go through tough times. And we were talking about coaching, um, and there was a girl, I believe, that was getting up striking out getting up striking out and you had gave her some really great advice or she had given you advice in the lines of every next at bat is another opportunity
2: correct was that right yeah i, I can remember the girl batting and i remember the girl asking me the question uh and she had a bad swing and twirled around and i said the next opportunity take advantage of every at the, you're going to get another opportunity the next time. I can't remember the exact words I mm-hmm. used when I mm-hmm. was here, but that was what the concept was. Every pitch is another opportunity, right? And the next pitch, she lined a double into the left center field uh, outfield, and that you know, and that's when the other girl said, "Gosh, that was really." <laughs> it is. It's it's great because <laughs> I said it right before she had the hit, mm-hmm. and, but I believe that, and I tell. Like, for example, if they make an error, I say, the next play is the most important play. You can't dwell on past mistakes. Mm. You have to learn from them, but you can't dwell on them. You have to take that and move to the next level. And if you don't see that every minute of every day is another opportunity, then you're missing all those wonderful opportunities. It's an opportunity to
1: begin again, but better. And and what I like about this conversation is you've proven that. You know, from, from the first time to this time, it's another opportunity for you to say, what can I have done better? How can I tweak along the way? So I have to ask this next question. I don't know. Um, when we were talking beforehand that maybe some questions are off limits, and that's fine. I don't, I don't have that knowledge, and Seth doesn't have that knowledge. Yeah, but okay. speaking of tweaking things, mm-hmm. if you were elected, what is something that you think the court system needs in terms of, of some tweaks that there's some lacking in?
2: I, it's hard to say that there's lacking. It's such a complex machine that, like the little Dutch boy, am I allowed to say that? When you <laughs> plug the hole in the dike and another leak springs out, the old, right. the old uh, fable. Uh, so you have to look at it comprehensively. Do I see things that I think I can contribute? You know, I bring in a, a strong civil litigation background and i think that that would be welcome to the court uh, given the current makeup and i can learn from the criminal aspect of it and i see that they're starting to make some changes for example well coronavirus forced some changes but you know the first tuesday of every month is to call the list you bring all the criminal defendants there and it's very unwieldy and i always thought that that was something that needed to be changed and with the last um election they've already started doing that but part of it was also being uh, forced by necessity Mm -hmm. which is the mother of invention and they're adjusting uh the way the court handles the volume of criminal cases that come uh in front of them since then there's been new tools that have been added to the court a veterans court a drug court there's now a um rehabilitation program for inmates of the state correctional facility. I see the ability to do that. I've done it with my clients that I've represented and I see opportunities to do that again because I had one question in uh, one of the meetings I went to, well, well what would you do with drug offenses? And I said well I would use the tools that are in front of us. We want to stop the the person who's using the drugs from using them because that's what's causing them to repeat crimes over right. and over again uh, on a large uh, percentage of it so i see that there's tools being developed that need to be incorporated into the court and i i feel that i have the ability to do that to use all the tools out there and that's what i think i bring to the table uh, can i tell you that the courts are doing something wrong right now no i can't say that do i think i can help improve the function i think the answer is yes mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> next question. I and again, this is uh, so my whole like the wheelhouse of my knowledge of the judges is just very minimal. Okay, so I'm enjoying this because I'm just learning a lot about what it what what judges do, what attorneys do. Because that's just that's just not my like I said, it's just not in my actual uh, wheelhouse. But um, so, why should voters support you? rather than your opponents and again we've kind of alluded to this already about what you bring differently to the table but um with your personality and things that you've learned in your experience with being an attorney
2: what makes you stand out well i i hate to sound like a broken record but you have to go back to the experiences that i bring to the table and when i use the phrase experience i'm incorporating a a number of different things Mm. There's my legal experience. You know, 32 years, I started as an associate, and then I became a partner in a law firm, and now I own a law firm. I've been through every step that that a lawyer is going to go through. Law clerk, associate, partner, president, owner of a group. So I bring experience legally and add to that experience all the different types of cases that I have handled throughout my career; those are the cases that come before the court. So I've got the experience on those types of matters. Then you have the experience that I have in what I call service—you know, the community activities. And you know, it's, you say it's service, but I get as much out of it as the the people I'm working for. So all the boards I've been on, like the Community Food Warehouse, the Little League, Girls Softball, Junior Achievement—I've uh, done the American Heart Association Heart Walk, Chairman, uh, pra- uh, President of the Board of Directors of my church. I bring all that to the table, so I think I have a wide variety of experience there. Uh, Add to that, you know, the work I'm doing with the the Hickory Schools, the football announcing and the filming and Mm -hmm. the play-by-play, I've gotten to um, do a lot of uh, public speaking from that. I think that also helps, uh, because as a judge, you've got to command the the public. Uh, I'll add my faith, I think I have uh, faith in God, I pray a lot, I wish I had more, I (laughs) wish I did more. Uh, But I think I bring that to the table, and I have a a strong family supporting me. I think that's important. My wife and my children, my in-laws, my mother, my brothers, they're they're all supporting me. Um, So I think when you put that package together, I think I I bring all the necessary tools. Very cool. And um, I feel I I would do a good job. And if I don't win, I'll be happy to go back to my law practice, which I have built to be what I want it to be. So I'm in a win-win. I, I say this a lot to my clients. So for example, if somebody's applied for Social Security and they didn't win, or they're trying to get workers' comp and they were denied, or there was something else that you know we didn't get quite to the level they needed, I would say, all right, well, look, judge said you can work. Let's try it. Mm-hmm. Let's go out there, get the job. If you get the job, and you get the income, and you get the self-confidence that comes from the job, that's a win. Yeah. If you get the job and you can't keep it because your medical conditions are such that they're interfering with your ability to do the job the reason we applied for the disability in the first part well now we have evidence that you, you've tried and they they you know they'll help those who try to help themselves yeah and if you can't get the job because nobody's giving you the time of day and, and you've put out 30 applications and and you just can't do what's necessary to get that job well now i have evidence so that's win-win-win i'm always looking for the Benefit. The, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Yeah. Having said that, when you're on the bench, you're the one making the decision, so you yeah. have to be able to say, "Well, for you, it's not working." And I feel I can do that as well. So by being able to push the positive, I can also see the 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 yin and the yang of that. And I feel that I bring that to the table. So with okay,
0: so kind of like to zero in a, a couple of the, those things in your experience as an attorney was. Give me like the uh, most controversial or most challenging if you can um, case that you've that you've ever had and how through that challenge it helped you to grow to the person that you are today
2: yeah I, that's a, an extremely difficult question I'm gonna address it this way I have to be careful because talking about specific facts can of course give identity of, of individuals, course. and I have an absolute uh, about a confidentiality, um, I would say one of the harder things I had to do was when I was a young attorney, there was uh, a criminal trial, and there was uh, a man murdered children went on a shooting rampage, and that case came before the court and, on appeal, and I was the one charged for writing that opinion. So I had to go through all the testimony. Mm -hmm. of the terror that this individual reigned on the community and I had to reconcile that with the legal issues Mm -hmm. and that that was a significant challenge significant enough that even when I left the clerkship and started my first job I maintained that obligation it took extra time and I did that on my own time when I was done with the judicial clerkship because I saw how important it was to look at what was done and be able to get to a resolution. So I can't talk about specific cases, but what I can say is I've seen the worst that people can do upon each other. And I've seen it on, on, I won't say on a regular basis, but more than enough on a frequent basis. And I feel that I'm capable of handling it. And I think that's the hardest Mm. thing a judge would have to do is because you do see when people are doing the worst to each other Mm. and you can't let that affect your soul Mm. you have to be able to handle that objectively and that's was really the last hurdle i had to clear in my mind before i put myself up for the position am i ready to do that right and i feel that i am Hmm. And uh,
0: I don't know, did I answer that question?
2: Yeah, yeah. In preparation for today's interview, I was
1: online um, looking up, you know, great questions to ask potential judges. So just let you know, not all of these are mine, okay? Um, And there was a a judge who was reflecting on his career. And um, one of the questions they asked him was something like you asked about the most difficult decision. And he said that he made a decision once where it was a, um, something about a, like a, he let someone out, and within a couple weeks, he killed somebody. And this is when he was a young judge, and he said, he stood, he was up for nights, just devastated, crying, you know. And so, it's just one of those things. Because one of our questions, and we've kind of alluded to it, and you've mentioned it, that folks out there just don't really think about at all ever what what does a judge do or they have this concept in mind but they don't think of all the different facets but then on top of that they think of a a, a guy or gal in a robe that could be very mechanical whereas this is a very emotional Mm -hmm. job i can't imagine having to deal with that scenario the scenario you're referring to all, all the custody stuff you know that that has to be very difficult emotionally um to deal with i would think
2: well that i talked earlier when you said how do you deal with a difficult client you have to remove the emotion from the equation and that's what i've been doing for 35 years do i recognize that there's emotion on both sides absolutely um but you have to remove so i can't talk about specific cases i can't talk about how i would rule in a specific manner what i can say is i am an empathetic person in general but i can also develop the skill of getting rid of that and looking at things objectively Mm -hmm. and if you can't look at things objectively you can't i believe do the job so just on a general basis I think that is critical and I had to feel comfortable that I could get to that point Mm. I mean when you see horrific things on TV I would look at it saying would I be able to deal with that if it came in front of me that that's kind of what I've been putting myself through and getting prepared to whether I was gonna run for the position again and those were the—I don't want to say skills, but those were the aspects that of the job that I've tried to look at and feel comfortable that I could do, and I and I feel that I can. Yeah.
0: So with with thinking about the what what we just in the last couple of minutes have been talking about, I imagine that it uh, you even at some points maybe overall have kind of lost like that faith in humanity because I'm thinking of just. Just hear like with our guest last week, um, the corner John Libiante, yeah, um, Libinotti. He did the same thing <laughs> <that he laughs> last week. Same, he did the thing. same exact thing. <laughs> um, with seeing the worst of humanity, do you find it difficult to uh, have that faith in humanity to see the to still see the good in humanity?
1: AKA, are you dead inside? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, No, I I don't
2: lose my faith in humanity. I mean, let's look at what's happened in the last (coughs) almost exactly 12 months with coronavirus. I think we've seen the yin and yang of society uh, in an encapsulated period of time. And have I lost faith that there are good humans out there that want to provide for others all you got to do is look at the nurses look at the truck drivers look at the people stocking the grocery shelves look at the doctors and and you have to say no humanity's there are there those that have um challenged us well yeah i mean you know look at people being locked up and and Mm -hmm. not being able to get out and it's 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 created issues of its own so god created this world Good and evil exists. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's going to be there. Right, you can't you can't be afraid of it. You just got to be ready to deal with it when it's your turn. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, no, my faith in humanity has not been. Well, that's shaken. good. That's good. Yeah, that's that, that is good. So,
0: yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I think with just with the media, I think is a huge part to play, and for the fact that it just yeah. gives those those people who. Um, and say are are the troublemakers in society? I think it gives them more of time of day where it's constantly in your face, like you're seeing it. Like I'm thinking of like on Facebook, on Instagram, the the people who I'm and also thinking specifically of the coronavirus too. I remember just thinking to myself a couple months into the coronavirus uh, lockdown, which was like people are just be are being just so ugly towards each other. And then I you know then I, then I had to stop and think. Well, is this really? Everyone like outside of their home outside of the internet because people can be totally different on the on the internet than they are you know than they are in real life um, I mean I knew from working at Dunkin', um, Dunkin Donuts that people were always different to you face to face than they were over the headset or through the uh, drive-through oh, or right. even over the phone so just I I, I I can even just simply say just from my point of view too that um, I think that the internet has a lot to play in how just the different levels of how people treat each other so but that's good that you have you still have kept
2: that yeah you I mean there's always going to be challenges always you, you can't be afraid of a challenge and that's what i tried to especially tell like my children or the the kids that i coach or my clients there's always going to be a challenge and you can either cower and run away for it or you can take it on are you going to always beat them no but you're going to give it your best and as long as you give it your best you're fine right so we can't be afraid of a challenge. I feel like you've given that
1: speech right there thousands of times. Like I can see you standing over your kids, you're coaching your kids at home when they listen to this, they're going to go, Oh yeah, I've, I've heard that before. I've heard
2: that before. Well, (laughs) it's a good one. It's just a way of life. If you are always looking behind you, you're never going to see what's ahead of you. So, you know, and if you, back away from every challenge you're never going to advance yep. you, you've got to be able again to pull the positives out of whatever situation you're in good bad, or different and you need to be able to find a way to move beyond it you know they say time heals all wounds there's a lot of challenges that people face over time you realize when you get past it and you maybe take a glimpse back it maybe wasn't as big a mountain as you thought. Mm-hmm. But when you're standing at the face of it, it looks like it's insurmountable. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't shy away from a challenge. And I don't know what that makes me, but maybe I'm a fool. <laughs> maybe I'm Don Quixote. I, I don't know. But maybe don't you're a Greek There you go. Yeah. But I don't shy away from a challenge. And win, loser, uh, draw. I'm gonna always give my best effort. I am a very competitive person. And I can take, you can take that to the bank. When I do something, I'm doing it to be the best that I can be at, at it. Hmm. And uh, I've got a pretty good challenge in front of me right now with a, a campaign. And, and it's, it's gonna be interesting. And the challenges are so varied, I can't even tell you what they are. Mm-hmm. Well, we
1: wish you the absolute best of luck and we thank you for coming to the podcast studios for round two. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Absolutely, it's our pleasure.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was great. And I'm trying to. Think, I would love to find out what tidbit from this episode we're going to be quoting for the next. <laughs> I know the next is. year. The one about
1: looking back over your shoulder. If you keep looking back, you can't look forward. I love that. <laughs> yeah. You can't, you can't yeah. see forward when you're looking back. Absolutely to, true. Listen to the great theologian Michael Duano. <laughs> yeah, now, Theologians. Yeah, a good song by Wilco. Yeah, <laughs> like music. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, This is Anthony Cloditis, pastor here at Faith, sitting with Seth Walters at Engage Podcast Studios. If you have not done so already, please like and subscribe. You will get all this awesome content every week. And if you live in the community, look out for Michael Joanno. Wish him the best.